0: inviting your body to be in a posture that allows it to be at ease taking a few breaths in and relaxing in an out breath and then setting intentions for the day that we don't know what's really gonna happen throughout the day, but our intention is to stay with simple present experiences, like the breath or body sensations or sounds, loving kindness phrases, whatever your basic practices That's the basis of how you'll practice today. And then combining that with this invitation, no matter what your basic practice is, you'll have many other experiences. You'll have other sounds, thoughts. You'll have visiting emotional states and mental states strong body sensations. And see if you can practice one part of the equation, which is to be loyal to whatever your primary anchor is, your primary place of attention at some parts of the day, but also experiment with opening up to and learning from and witnessing what's actually happening. So using the breath as an example, sometimes you'll turn your attention from a wandering thought back to the breath. And sometimes you can actually begin breathing in and out and then opening your awareness to include the thoughts, the emotional states that are present. You might be able to stabilize mindfulness with your primary object. And that is a support while you explore what's actually happening when you're not with your primary object. So now you have two things that you can explore and hopefully they don't feel confusing But you do have two options and you get to explore what it's like to deepen your experience with something primary or to open your attention to recognize there's a lot of thought happening and it has the emotional tone of happy creativity or worry or resentment or nostalgia. So if you can be mindful of it, then you're practicing mindfulness. You don't have to yank the chain and get your attention back to only the primary place. If your mind wanders a lot in what we call these secondary objects then you might say, yeah, this is not such a good time because I seem to get lost very easily. So I'm going to actually give myself the support of the primary place of my attention. But at some other part of the day, you can see, oh, my mind has wandered and it's still vivid for me. I can still see the images, but now I'm aware. I've had this wandering thought And I can see the images and I can feel the emotional flavor of that thought train. Especially if one is particularly sticky. So you seem to be going back to it a lot. That's a good thing to start to understand. What is the draw in this? So I will go back to my breath, but if I keep being pulled in one direction. Then I see if I can breathe with that thought, breathe with that emotional state, see if there's a body component that's being compelled in resonance with that thought. At some times of the day, that will be very doable. And then at other times of the day, the mind is too scattered. And if you attempt that, you just go back into the wandering. And that's a time actually to see if you can ground yourself a little more uh, in something more simple. So you do have options and that can be a little confusing. Which one should I do? Don't waver between two options. Don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out which one should you do? Because they're both equally interesting but the wavering isn't. The wavering is not so helpful. So just pick one and neither one is wrong and say, oh, I've been working with just my breath for a long time. I'm gonna see if I can open up the field and be aware of my breath inside my body, breathe with my other body sensations. I wanna explore the emotional qualities that are present while I'm aware of breathing in and breathing out. This is all mindfulness. Sometimes it's gathered around one place and sometimes we open the field. And that's what the Anapanasati guidance is while breathing in and breathing out. I'm aware of my body while breathing in and breathing out. I'm aware of the qualities present in my heart And that's using breath as the example of what the anchor is or the primary object. So with that said, give yourself permission to let go of concerns of the past, let go of concerns of the future, let go of any need to overly analyze the present and see if you can develop some contentment Just being a simple human, breathing in a relatively still posture. In that very mode of witnessing and feeling your breath as you breathe in and breathe out, without having any preference, what are the qualities of the breath that are present this morning? Are you in slow, deep breathing? Is it slow, but not going very deep? is your breath most obvious as sensations? Is it your upper chest, your nostrils, your shoulders, your belly? And can you become interested in the full cycle of one breath? Not just the vivid parts, but the whole cycle while staying relaxed. This is a full in-breath and this is the moment it stops. And this is a full out-breath and this is the moment it stops. Sometimes the moments where it stops, it becomes a little less vivid. And that might be where our mind begins to wander or disengage. Let's see if you can become loyal to a full stream of simple present time experiences. This is both vitaka and vichara connecting and sustaining. And as a suggestion, you can invite your attention to recognize your breath is happening inside your body. Or if you're hearing, you're hearing sounds inside an animal body, a human animal body. And so you might open the field of your attention so that you're using hearing or the breath to be a support while you begin exploring body sensations. There are many ways to do this. One way you might play with it is while hearing or breathing. See if you can become curious about the sensation level experience of what's cool or cold, what's warm or hot, and anything that doesn't stand out as hot or cool, you might call ambient. Doesn't stand out one way or the other. Just that one sensational inquiry while breathing in, breathing out. Is there coolness on your hands? Can you take interest in the experience of coolness itself? Not so much the interpreted story, Don't have good circulation, the heat isn't on, yada yada. <laughs> but what is consciousness of coolness as a simple direct experience? and you see where it's most vivid. And then move an inch or two from that spot and see if you can still feel coolness or does it fade as you move away from where it's obvious. And you can do the same with warmth. Parts of your body are warm. And once you tune into the experience, you can let go of the picture of anatomy, armpits, hands, or feet. And see if you can tune into the very simple direct experience that you're being aware of warmth. Next, you might take interest in pulsing in your body. There's something like a large pulse sensation as you breathe in, there's stretching. There's a force within that pushes your ribs out as you breathe in, that stretching, moving. Or is there is the subtle pulse of your heartbeat felt maybe in your fingers, in your lips, in your feet, in your legs. Let's see if you can tune into the direct experience of these forces and movement within your body. And lastly, you might come inside your body supported by breathing and see if you can have a direct experience of what parts of your body are soft, what parts are firm and what parts are hard. Can you feel the softness of your skin and tissues and the hardness of the bone running through all your tissues, your leg and arm bones, your shoulders, your ribs, your jaw and your teeth, right next to skin and muscle, softer organs. And you can invite your body to be as peaceful and relaxed as it can be in these conditions, not insisting that it relax, but inviting it. What can be relaxed will, and if there's tension left over, It's just in a holding pattern. You've invited what can be relaxed to be at ease. Now, depending on how at ease your mind is, how at ease your body is, while breathing in and out, you might be aware of these two factors, An energetic aliveness, which is PT, any tingling you feel, Subtle, quick sensations. And this open, peaceful relaxation of sukha. Some parts of you will have this body-based piti and sukha. It might just be your hands or your feet. But other times you can say, "Well, most of my body is actually in a subtle piti sukha place. There's contentment, but there's still a nice aliveness within the contentment. And no, it doesn't include my left shoulder blade or a tension around my right eye or this ache I know in my back. But other parts of me, I'm going to breathe in and out and appreciate parts of my body that are well, that are relaxed and alive. And what is it like to breathe in and out and be consciously aware of the parts of your body, and sometimes the whole of your body, in a state of relaxed, alive well-being? you <laughs> If your body has an old habitual pain in it, you might notice that it's like, it has a lot of gravity. So to enter your body at all, you get pulled towards this pain. And it's very hard to be in the body and not have it, not have the pain command your attention. So, those moments, it's good to open your attention, almost like imagining you're on the side of a, a hill, looking out over a valley. And the pain is like a group of trees in the fall that show they're red or they're green, they're vivid, but they're part of a larger picture. And you also want to appreciate other parts of the landscape so you don't fight them, but you don't let them define the entirety of you. And you can hold them in a larger perspective. There is also neutrality and pleasure, relaxed well being and tension. Keep the bigger picture. And patiently steer your body, your attention to other regions of your body that are relaxed without painful sensations. From this depth of invitation into peaceful embodiment, you can keep working on this basis. Go back to your breath, feel into your body, let your body to be peaceful, actively explore, the regions of your body that are alive and peaceful. What is aliveness? What is peacefulness in the body? You might be able to include now some awareness of what's painful and it won't immediately take up your whole perspective. You'll have some patience to begin to explore the sensations that are called pain. Something is too hot, too cold, too sharp. Too tight? Nothing feels like it's pinching or stabbing. What's its size? Is it contained in one small area? Does it radiate out? As long as you're patient and curious, and you can suspend judgment and reactivity, you can turn towards these parts of your body that are challenging and understand them, experience them on a sensation level. And around pain, there's a center that we dislike and then we surround it with a secondary bracing, secondary tension we add to pain, a region around the pain that gets contracted. So you might notice for yourself, if a part of your body is unpleasant, is the field around that also relaxed? Or is the field around the pain also tight, rigid, contracted? Hopefully before you've grown tired, impatient, your mind shifts from acceptance to needing to fix it. You resent it, you fear it. When all these mind states begin to, good mind states dwindle and the reactive mind states start to arise then it's good to take a break, open your attention back up, come to your breath, come to parts of your body that are well. If you need to, you can always come to hearing just to give your body a rest from this exploration. And see again if you can use the breath as a sanctuary to dispel what's agitating, what's scattering. So I have a few brief announcements and then we can open up to see if you have any questions about that uh, approach to mindfulness practice. Uh, The First one is today is Saturday. Um, Not that that would mean a lot to you, but (laughs) it's Saturday. And what you'll notice is um, that uh, the teachers have some days off to attend to our personal lives. And so uh, today, Beth, Kamala, and I, and JD are here. And uh, James, John, and Susie uh, might come later tonight, but they have this day off, and they'll definitely be here by tomorrow morning, which means they won't be seeing people in their interview cycle. That interviews that should have happened today will happen tomorrow. And then our interviews happen today, but the world inter- will we'll be gone. The three of us will be gone tomorrow. JD is going to be here. <laughs> so interviews for us that would have been tomorrow will be on Monday. All you have to do is check the board. You don't have to get the whole scheme in your mind. But if you understand that teachers are missing, therefore the interviews are not happening, that's helpful. Uh, some people are leaving notes for the manager Beth under teacher Beth's uh, name. So if you're leaving a note for a manager, there's a whole uh, column just for managers. And you can put Beth on it if it's to specifically uh, Beth as a manager under the manager category. But where it says Beth by the other teachers, that's teacher Beth. Please write your your notes clearly. That's really helpful. And it's helpful if you want a response to write your name clearly. some people are writing their name very joyfully, and <laughs> <clears throat> it looks like joy or agitation or something. And we want to respond, but uh, the amount of detective work that it takes to try to, it's just helpful if your name is clear. Also, um, we do welcome uh, you to put notes in the bowl if you have them, if they have a floating, don't spend a lot of time trying to come up with one. But if you do have a question that is sort of in your mind and would be helpful, and you can't seem to ask it in the hall or get it uh, in an interview, we do collect the notes in the bowl and then we see, it's often easy to respond to themes that we see emerging than trying to hit everyone. So we won't necessarily respond to the note, but it gives us a sense of the questions that are floating out there and we work them into our Dharma talks or we um, try to respond some. So it's one way that we get a sense of questions that are, that are out there. So please write a note and then you place it in this big bowl and we collect them. Are there any questions about uh, the teaching so far or what's coming up in your practice? And um, one more thing. It's helpful in, in these morning questions that we first open it up to people who are not seeing teachers today because you could always ask that question to your teacher. But uh, do take it because I don't want to penalize you. Uh, and also we like it to rotate around. And so if you have a lot of comfort speaking in front of groups and you've already spoken, uh, just give it a little bit for other people to work up their courage, um, get their question clear because some people are slower and... Um, to be able to speak in front of a group, but we want to open the possibility to hear from everybody. So, yeah. I think I know the answer to this, but I just wanted to raise the question. Is there anything that uh, the Buddha identified or that teachers have experienced with that falls outside the realm of what we should be mindful of anything that we should not entertain maybe entertain isn't the right word but anything that we should not investigate due to potential ramifications of getting caught in that mind state so anything that's too been identified as too sticky or uh dangerous i guess maybe is the the right term. No. That's I thought. (laughs) What ends up being more important is there isn't a category of things that you shouldn't explore. The wiser thing is of the resources available, can I bring these resources to this experience? And if I'm in a groggy state and my mindfulness is kind of dreary and then a thought occurs and it plagues me about how bad the planet is, and I want to go there, I'll probably... You don't want the object to define your mind. You want your mind, not to define the object, but you want your mind to be working on its relationship to the object. But if the mind is not in a strong place and it turns towards a tough object the toughness will end up backfiring and the mind will be uh, affected by what it's trying to be mindful of. So there's nothing off topic, but there is wisdom is, you know, is this the right time to take on something this size or would it be better to see if I can regroup and turn towards this? It might be more productive at another time. Thanks. And I'll let my colleagues think about that and if they know something different, they'll tell me and we'll tell the group. It's almost like saying, uh, when you're driving a car, is there any time you shouldn't look out the windshield? Like when you're driving in traffic, have you ever noticed a time when you shouldn't keep your eyes open? And it's like, uh, no, no, it always helps to keep your eyes open. And. There's some things you don't wanna see, but it's actually always better to have seen it than to look away um, no matter what you're driving through. Um, Hi, thank you. Mm, you said yesterday about the... Oh, this makes me nervous, the microphone. <laughs> so don't override that. Let's just take a few breaths to breathe in the middle of the nervousness. So you said yesterday about... Uh, Hold it just a little closer. Yeah. yeah. About restlessness mm-hmm. as possibly being... Um, uh, that is not like evenly distributed or something mm-hmm. and I think that might be the case for me in some moments so I'm wondering if you have any ideas about how to work with that mm-hmm. so <coughs> in part of the our tradition the Buddhist uh, the Theravada Buddhist tradition they have something called the Abhidhamma and in that they they try to see all the moving all the possible moving parts that there are And there is nothing, um, there is a restlessness state of mind, but it itself um, is a response to something energetic. So the energy is the PT, and the restlessness is how the mind is relating to this uh, high energy state. Um, And sometimes you can have restlessness even when you're sleepy, but it's not necessarily to the PT, it's just that... The, the mind is in a discordant state. So often, <clears throat> uh, there's some, there are a lot of really good tricks that you can try. But one that is really helpful is the image that if you have an upset horse, and you say, the way I'm going to calm you down is I'm going to put you in the tiniest room we have, and then you won't have the room to be upset the horse will freak out and start kicking and biting because it's too contained. So I've had many flushes of restlessness that I've tried to calm down by oppressing myself. Like, calm down. And I tend to get, if you notice that you're getting more restless by trying to calm yourself down, you're in opposition to the restlessness. So almost all of the interventions on Uh, hindrances is some time of, to improve your acceptance that it's happening. And just that acceptance, sometimes that takes out what's making the restlessness so horrible is that there is an unseen resentment or resistance to the resistance or uh, restlessness. So an attitude that recognizes and accepts, that's the first two words of RAIN that I use, recognize what's happening and accept it. Then sometimes with restlessness, it's actually helpful to take that horse and not put it in a small room, but put it out in a large field and it will move around, but it's just a lot of movement. It's not necessarily negative. The horse just wants to spend its energy. The way you do that in sitting meditation is sometimes I open my eyes and I take in the size of the room and even though I'm still feeling restless in my body, I give all the energy this much room to not feel I'm pent up with the restlessness. So that's taken high, uh, very unpleasant restlessness and I I give it space. I give it internal space, external space. Sometimes with my eyes closed, I'll be restless. And I say, let's just relax, allow this energy to be here, not resist it, and see if I can actually relax the part of me that isn't restless. And then I have a larger field that the energy is playing in. And in the larger field, internally and externally, it works itself out. And then it comes back into... uh, a more harmonious place. So recognize, accept, give more internal psychological space for the restlessness to occur in. Um, And just said briefly, try those things. And there are other things to try, but those tend to be very helpful. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Of all the hindrances, we tend to like restlessness the least. Uh, So the direct experience of it often comes with um, immediate aversion to it. We like our hatred because we feel so right. We like our greed because we're winning at life. The sleepiness sometimes is just like, uh, you're a little bit adrift. Doubt is unpleasant. um, But sometimes the restlessness, we have an unconscious uh, grip against it. And that compounds it to be very unpleasant. I'll have one more. Could you talk a little bit more about um, observing and investigating thoughts? Uh-huh. Um, one thing I've noticed is that when I'm, an aw- when I'm aware of a thought it evaporates, it disappears. Um, so I, I can't observe it while it's happening. <clears throat> and another thing I've noticed is if I start investigating it, sometimes I'll get into the story of the thought. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't, I feel that it's not that effective to look into, well, what gave rise to that thought and what gave rise to that thought, that kind of thing. Right. Thoughts are interesting in the fact that when we're not looking at them, they're very tempting and plaguing. And then as soon as we turn to them, they tend not to want to do much. (laughs) And so um, that's a learning unto itself, is that thoughts are very powerful when not looked at directly. But when looked at directly, it's just a lot of confetti of stuff happening that when you can see it, I can, you can hardly believe you were ter- uh, tormented and terrorized and dominated by this realm. Cause when you actually do look at it, it's just thought. Um, <clears throat> it is a hard place to rest one's attention. So it's almost never a good place to anchor your attention because thoughts are so fleeting. So, it tends not. It tends to lead to more psychological analysis if you try to understand why am I having this thought? Why do I have this trend? In mindfulness, um, it's like if someone gave you a really great soup, and you tasted it, you actually want to go into the intimacy of the taste, not how did the cook make this? That's analytical thought about how what must the cook have done that we ended up with this soup. Mindfulness is actually I'm gonna go through, I'm gonna taste the sour. I'm going to taste the saltiness. I'm gonna taste the viscosity of the broth. I'm going to, so you want to bring mindfulness not into the story around anything you want to bring it into the immediate stream. So with thought, you don't want to think about thinking. You, uh, you can make a practice where you, you rest and it's like, okay, thoughts seem to happen around here when they happen, so I'm breathing. But I'm curious, like, what is the first thought that arises? And it's like, when's the first thought gonna come? It's like, oh, that's a thought. Like, oh, that was the first thought. What is going to happen in this realm? So you're attending the direct experience. And it's a hard realm, but we're developing enough momentum that you will have windows open where you can do this, where you can actually see thoughts arise. And then you'll even even see right why the thought is arising. There's, I'm in a resentful space, but I haven't figured out what I'm resentful of, but I'm looking for something to resent. And someone coughs, it's like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I knew it was coming. It's like So I had this with a, I was resenting a lot of people I was in a retreat with, and it seemed really normal, so I didn't really notice it. And I was like, yep, people, Right. And then this dog came by and the windows were open. And it's like, and a dog too? But that's like, I usually don't resent dogs. (laughs) I wonder if I'm in a resentful mind state because I never resent dogs. And I was like, oh my God, for the last 20 minutes, I've been resenting everybody. And my mind was actively thinking about why I should resent everybody. But I was not aware that I was actually in the state. So it's also helpful with thoughts to recognize They're usually connected to the states we're in. So thanks for your question. Um, Please uh, carry this sensitivity out through the day. Enjoy walking. You're in one of the few animals ever to have learned how to walk on two legs. Don't take it for granted. Feel all the micro balances. Feel your toes and how they help. What it's like to walk Enjoy It's a very visceral, uh, sensory, rich experience. Same with eating, same with climbing stairs or opening your door. The fact that we have a hand that can turn a door, like you've taken it for granted, start enjoying um, the immediate experience that you're in. Not start because you've been enjoying that, but really sink into that. It's how your well-being will flourish uh, versus thinking about well-being. So have a day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.